story of Jesus, isn't it? In a snapshot. It's hard to imagine that in a two minutes we can give you the entirety of Jesus' story and to think about that that is the dash of his life. Over these next few weeks, I want us to continue this idea of digging into the dash of our own lives and how then that dash we encounter Jesus. That there are stories throughout Scripture, there are stories that we're continuing to live, even our own story, hopefully is a story of where we have encountered Jesus, and through that encounter, transformation is happening. And one of the things that I have learned over the years as I've been a Jesus follower, in particular as a pastor, preacher, teacher, counselor, all the different things, the role of what I do is one of the things that I understand, I've come to understand and um, see in people in particular that are humans, which is everyone, is we struggle with offering ourselves grace. We are extremely hard on ourselves. There's a lot of lies that we've bought into that we have to meet these certain expectations, that there's some checklists that we have to do or to meet or do some different things. And so one of the things that we struggle with the most in offering ourselves grace, but then also in receiving grace. And so I think that's why the Scripture tells us that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is so simple. It's the thing that we trip over, that we trip over it thinking that there's got to be something else, that we're distracted by these little little things, and so we lose focus on the fact that the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that he gave his life for us so that our past can be wiped away and that we can live life from that moment in complete freedom, which means to be naked, okay, I know we got kids in here, naked, vulnerable before God, and that that is a good thing, that in that moment that you say yes to Jesus, that the thing that our soul longs for the most is that we are transparent before God and he can see and understands all of our flaws and all of the things that we try to hide He sees them and knows them and understands them and still loves us and wants us in spite of that in our nakedness. But we struggle with that. And so our thing as humans in this thing of grace is we're constantly trying to patch and put fig leaves all over and hide the very things that God wants to deal with and make transparent before ourselves so that through the word of God, the mirror of his word, he can transform us and bring new life to those places that are the things that we usually try to hide are um, hurts and pains and agonies that he actually wants to bring healing to. And so all of us, if you're past the age of two, have a past. Am I right? Even some two-year-olds have a serious past. Okay? All of us have things that are a part of our story that bring shame, pain, regret, and we want to hide and want to keep away. However... What Jesus, the story of Jesus is, is that he wants us to lay them bare before him so that he can provide healing, so that we can live free, to truly live free, to live life to its fullness, not in our past, not out of our past, but in the newness of our encounter with Jesus Christ. And I say all of that because I'm going to tell, we're going to do a story today from John chapter 4. That's a story that maybe you've been around church for a little bit and you've heard the story from John chapter 4, but it's the story of the woman at the well. And this is a woman with a past. And so here she is with a past and she has an encounter with Jesus. And what we're going to see from this encounter with Jesus is that it radically transforms her life in the moment. Now, one of the things about being a pastor teacher is you see life change in people. 
Sometimes it's a dramatic shift that there's this moment in time where you have an encounter with Jesus and your life radically changes. And usually that's someone that maybe is a little bit older and they've had some struggles in life, some difficulties, would say a past, and they encounter Jesus. And because of that, there's a pure 180-degree turn from walking in this direction to now walking in this direction. Because the past, they don't want anything to do with it. And so there's this radical change. And you see that in the story of Saul, who becomes Paul. And you see that in some other stories. But for many people, if you've grown up in and around church, you may have had an encounter with Jesus as a little child in VBS or in Sunday school or something like that. And you came to that place where you understood at the level that you could understand that Jesus loved you. You hadn't cleaned your room. You'd made mistakes. You had some sins. And because of that, Jesus had to die. And so you've moved in this direction. And your transformation and in, in, in your life story and journey with Jesus is a little bit different. It may not feel like your story is good enough, which is a lie. Okay? The story is is that you've had an encounter with Jesus and that Jesus is transforming you and moving you and walking you in the direction that he wants you to walk, which is a place of life and of faith and of hope and of grace and moving away from the things that you don't need in your life. So join with me if you have your Bibles, John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. If you don't, we'll show it up here on the screen. And uh, verse verse 2 and 3. So here Jesus has been doing some things. So as you kind of get to this place in John, what's been happening? John or Jesus has begun his public ministry. He's been baptized. He's been, has been made public that way. Then he's also, his mom came to him and said, hey, Jesus, now's the time. We're at this wedding party. Turn water into wine. And so Jesus made the best wine, okay? And then he's just had an encounter with this guy named Nicodemus. This is why we have the, the television station Nickelodeon, Nick at Night. Because Nicodemus came to meet with him at night. And so Nick at night. Never mind. Y'all go to sleep. Okay? And now y'all are like, really? That's cool. No. Um, so Nicodemus had had an encounter. A religious person had had an encounter with Jesus. And now on the flip side of that, someone who was not necessarily religious, who has a past, now has an encounter with Jesus. And so because of Jesus' work already, he's being moved out. And so he's out on this journey. And on his journey, he ends up, it tells us, in Samaria. But he had two options. He could drive straight in his yuga with his disciples through Samaria, or he could go around and take the bypass in the loop. Well, he chooses to save gas, which is why he's driving a yugo. And he goes through there, and he stops in Samaria. And the Scripture tells us that it was an appointed time, that he had to be there because there was an appointment that Jesus had. And so you've had these times, too, where you've shown up somewhere, and it's a dink. And you meet with someone and you have a conversation or you have something happen. And you know that when you leave that, that it's a conversation that God had appointed. You had a divine appointment and you didn't realize that. And so this is John looking back on it and going, well, usually we just kind of go around. But for this reason, for some time, Jesus said, we're really short on money. We've got to drive the Yugo through Samaria. I don't know why. But as he looks back, he sees it and goes, this is why we had to stop. So Jesus and his disciples left Judea and returned to return to Galilee and he had to go through Judea, through Samaria, on the way. Now, usually Jewish guys and gals would not go through Samaria because of their, there was some tension between the two. The Samaritans were not friends of the Jews, and the Jews were not friends of the Samaritans. Samaritans were considered half-breeds, and it was it was ethnic deal, but it was also a mingling of religions, that they were Jewish people who had been 
married outside of their race, but then also began to infiltrate with other religions and began to, to distort what it meant to be truly Jewish. And so the tensions were so high, actually, the Jews had done some really bad things, and then the Samaritans had actually thrown bones in the temple in Jerusalem into the Holy Holies in the place of worship and had defiled it. Um, under John Harkanus. And so there were some high tensions going on, and so the Jewish people would avoid going through Samaria. So this is kind of the, the scene going on. But eventually Jesus and his team came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So you know Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, those guys. And so they're just kind of setting the scene. of This is an important place in Jewish history. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. So it's hot, it's desert, he comes up to a well, and he's hanging out. All right, you get the picture? Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. So at noontime, all of you go do what? You go to lunch and you buy food. So this is a natural scene. Jesus with his disciples in the Yugo, they pull up to the well, they're hungry, sends them to the 7-Eleven, they go to the market, they're going to buy, buy some bread, they're going to buy some vegetables, some meat, and they're going to come back. Well, Jesus is tired and he just sits at the well, but there's nothing to draw from. He doesn't have anything to draw water from. And then here comes this Samaritan woman. Now, Samaritan person would have been bad to show up, but here a Samaritan woman shows up, and that's bad, 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 okay? And so Jewish men would never talk to a Jewish woman in public, much less talk to a Samaritan woman. That's just part of it was. And so Jesus, a rabbi, a man, a Jewish man, would never have had a discussion with a woman in public because of, of adult things, okay? We want to keep people pure in their, in their relationships. And so no um, ideas of these two people were having a relationship because they were not husband and wife. And so Jesus is here at the well. The Samaritan woman comes up. And normally what would happen is the Samaritan woman would walk up. She would draw her well. She would get her stuff and she would go on and they would avoid even eye contact. But she walks up and she's probably her heart is beginning to race because she sees this guy here and she's wondering and she's thinking, is he going to talk to me? Is he not going to talk to me? It's all that kind of stuff. So some of you were at prom last night and you were like, hey, is he going to dance with me? Is she not going to dance with me? All those kind of things. So that kind of thing. So please give me a drink. And he was alone. And so what happens? The woman was surprised. Because think about it. She's a Samaritan woman. She's there at noontime. When you normally get your water... It's 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. So the Samaritan woman is coming at noontime when it's the heat of the day. She's going there because she doesn't anticipate seeing anybody. And she shows up and she sees somebody. And as she's walking up and she sees him, she anticipates, well, he's a Jewish guy. He's probably not going to say something. But then he talks to her and her greatest fears come up with inside of her. A man, a Jewish man is talking to me. And so all of that stuff, so you can imagine she was, she was surprised. Why? Because Jews refused to do anything, have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to him the natural thing, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Well, he's thirsty, right? It's tough. Jesus replied, this is one of the things we need to understand about Jesus and people that are evangelists, that have the gift of evangelism. They will begin a conversation with you, and something in that conversation, they're able to spin it in a way 
that all of a sudden what seems like a natural question becomes a spiritual question that allows you to dig deeper. And Jesus was obviously a master at this. And if you've ever sat with someone else who's spiritual in this way and has that gift of evangelism, they can talk to you about a bologna sandwich, and the next thing you know, you're weeping over your sins because they're able to do this. And so this is Jesus, okay? And so Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Now, so imagine, here's this woman. She pulls up. She's got her little her water bucket. She's ready to draw. She's brought the tools to draw from the well. And as we know, this well is about 100 feet deep, okay? So it's a deep well. So you couldn't just, like, put a little thing in there and scoop. You had to have the tools to do it. And so this Samaritan woman shows up. She has the tools to do it. Here's this Jewish man sitting there who doesn't have the tools. He's asking for a drink. And then he begins to tell her, if you knew who I really was, I could give you living water. And she's like, you're not very smart. You ain't even got the tools. I'm the one that have the tools to provide you living water. And again, Jesus is beginning this conversation with her to help transform her heart and her mind and and who she thinks and knows that she is. She went there for a drink of water, but her life is going to be transformed by this meeting. But sir, you don't even have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and the ones that his animals enjoy? So she's thinking about history like, hey, this is the well. And and are you saying that you're better than Jacob, the one who built this? And then Jesus kind of goes along with it and he replies. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, which is a true statement. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now, water was an important source. It's still an important source. I mean, one of the things that we're continuing to do all over the world is there are people around the world that still do not have fresh, clean water on a daily basis. And that as soon as they get that, that transforms a village. It transforms the health of children and adults. And if you've ever seen it, it's a miraculous thing. And so here Jesus is at a well, and there's water coming from it. And he's telling her, listen, if you take the drink that I have, you will never have to come here again and to get a drink of water. Now that is like, she's like, sign me up for that. But he's telling her, listen, it's even not just a, a well, it's a spring that bubbles up all of the time. Now there's a difference between living water and dead water. You know what dead water is? It grows dead things. And so here Jesus is helping her understand the water that I'm giving you is living water. It's moving. It's constantly moving. It's life-giving water. As a matter of fact, the reason that we have the Dead Sea is because the Dead Sea does not continue to move. Water comes into the Dead Sea and stops and becomes stagnant. And so things die, and it's it's so much salt in it now you can lay in it and float. And if there were some way to open it up and the water began to go forth, then it become a living source of life again. And so Jesus is saying to her, currently your living water, the water that you have is stagnant and is providing death and is not life-giving. But if you drink of the water that I give you, it will give you life and it will provide an ongoing life source for you. That's why even in the early church, whenever they would baptize people, they would baptize them in the rivers and in moving water because water was life. 
And when they would baptize them, they would say, your sins are washed away as far as the east is from the west. And you can never catch up to your sins. Because when you're baptized, the water washes over you and they're tracing down. And so it's this image of the sins are washed away. And there are those moments that you may want to chase after them. But what a fool that you would look like. And so Jesus is giving her this image of, I want to give you water that springs up eternally, constantly giving you new life that will not bring death, but will bring eternal life. Please, sir, give me this water. Because she's thinking, man, I'm tired of 12 o'clock showing up with this heavy water jug or jugs to get water. I'm tired of people whispering about me. I'm tired of people talking about me. I'm tired of people saying the things that they say about me. Just give me this water so that I will never be thirsty again, so that I don't have to come here and get water anymore. My past is what it is, and I am tired of dealing with it. And what's Jesus tell her? He's an evangelist. Go and get your husband. More than evangelist, he's the son of God. So he knows some things. This preternatural knowledge comes out at this moment. You can imagine she stops. Why would he ask this? Well, part of the reason that he would ask this is because it's proper for a husband to be there with this conversation, that this was technically an improper conversation. And so he's having this conversation with her. Jesus is throwing all the religious rules upside down. And so he's saying, hey, go get your husband so we can have this conversation together. It's about to get really serious. Go get your husband. Now, he knows, obviously, that there's more to this than that. And so she's kind of like, eh, in her response to that, I don't have a husband. The woman replied, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. So six men in her life, okay, six men in her life. Now, one of the things we need to understand is, In those days, if a lady was widowed or had lost her husband for whatever reason, under Jewish law, they were, they were allowed to marry three times. There were, there was a grace in that because life happens. Husbands die. Things happen. Sometimes husbands would divorce their women because they cooked the macaroni too long and they were able to divorce pretty quickly. You even see in the New Testament, Jesus had a discussion over this of what divorce was about. And so they had those, those different things. And so there was, under Jewish law, a woman could be married up to three times. So he was, she knew that. They were having this discussion. So he's like, look, you've even gone beyond the grace of the Jewish law here. You've had five husbands and now you're living with someone else. And he says, you spoke, certainly spoke the truth. Now, she didn't have to say that. But there was something about Jesus that I don't have a husband, and she kind of just kind of swept that on and kind of moved on. And But she says, hey, listen, I, I don't have a husband, and they kind of get into all this. And so, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Beginning this deeper conversation with her. You must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that you insist? So she's changing the channel. She don't want to dig into her personal life too much. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the place of worship, while Samaritans claim it is the, the point of Mount Gerizim? where our ancestors worship. Now, again, here's that tension that we talked about, that the Jewish people and the Samaritan people have been fighting. They've been fighting for generations over what is worship and what does it truly mean to worship Yahweh. And because of those tensions, they actually split at some point in history. And whenever they split, 
those that were fully Jews, and they would line all that stuff out, you could worship in the temple, but if you weren't fully Jewish, then you couldn't. But those that had some Jewish heritage were like, well, we still want to worship the way we've grown up. And so they've created some new places and even added some things to that. And so Jesus replies, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father in the mountain, on this mountain, or in Jerusalem. So he's beginning to open up some stuff for you. Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes from the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, this is ice-breaking for that, for that moment. He's, he's saying, listen, we've been so wrapped up in you've got to be in the temple to worship or you've got to be in this place to worship, and you so think about that God is confined by regions or boundaries. I'm helping you understand that God is not confined by the boundaries anymore. It's not just confined to the boundaries of Israel. God is spirit, and he is everywhere all the time and in all places He's not, he doesn't have fingers and hands and toes like us. He is all places at all times. And that the way that we can worship him in spirit is through the truth, and the truth is Jesus. So in that moment when you say yes to Jesus and you believe in him, in that truth takes residence with inside of you, the Holy Spirit, the mystery of the gospel, the Holy Spirit takes residence with inside of you, and now your heart is the temple of the living God. And so you have an inheritance of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, wherever you go, you can worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's a lot of stuff in that little sentence. And the Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. So Jesus is saying, listen, the Father doesn't care about what amount of money you bring or the different things, the things that you're checking off, all the different laws. He wants you to believe in who Jesus is and so that worship can take place. That's what we talked about the last few weeks. Worship is every single day of every single hour for those that are followers of Jesus because you are a temple of the living God. So when you go to work on Monday, when you go to school on Monday, when you do sport, all the different things that you do, those are acts of worship because you're a temple of the living God. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming the one who is called to Christ. Again, they've had this knowledge. She's reading the Torah. She gets it. She understands it at that level. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus lays it out right here. He says, then he told her, I am the Messiah. That I am is ego, I, me. It is the words that God spoke to Moses whenever at the, the burning of the bush, when they had that encounter. He said, I am the I am. This is that. So Jesus is making a God declaration. I am the I am the Messiah. So Jesus is helping her move from, I'm just, just giving you living water. I'm more than a prophet. I am the Messiah, the one that you've heard about. Just then, the disciples come back. And what happened? They were shocked to find him talking to a woman because he shouldn't have been talking. All of their rules and expectations of what religious people are supposed to be doing, he was not doing what they expected. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none had the nerve to ask. That would have been us, right? We ended up like, I don't know why he's doing it, but we're going to let him do it. We got, the, we got the baloney. That's all he asked us to do. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus to eat something. So the disciples show up. They're shocked. The woman 
sets down her water pail and runs into town and begins to tell people her story. Meanwhile, Jesus and the disciples begin to have this conversation. Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while they're gone? The disciples are talking. Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God, who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months before planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. So now imagine this scene with me. This well, it's kind of on a hill, and it's looking down on the city of Sychar, or the town of Sychar. And there's fields all around. There's, there's planting that's going on. Those are different types of things. But in this time of the season, they're probably not quite ready for harvest. But this lady has gone into town, and she's begun to tell her story. And she's telling her story. What she's saying is, he knows everything about me. I met this man at the well, and he knows everything about me. And she begins to reveal even more of her story and more of her past. And that's one of the interesting things about the story of Jesus. Whenever you encounter Jesus... He lays your life vulnerable and transparent, and you kind of, in some ways, you forget your past, and you use your past. Your past is actually helps you show that God has transformed you, that God has grace and love for even me, that he would meet me at the well. And so here it is, so you're looking at that, and so all of a sudden these people are like, well, listen, if this guy knows her past and would talk to her and have this kind of conversation, we want to meet this guy. We want to meet this rabbi. And so imagine in those days everybody was wearing white or light-colored clothing because it was hot, it was a desert, and they would cover themselves up over their head. And so imagine the scene. Jesus and his disciples are having this conversation over food and harvesting, and he said, hey, guys, look. And they began from the well, and they look down into the city, and they see this mass of people moving toward them. And it would have looked like, literally like corn or wheat or cotton coming. And so he's saying to them, not pay attention to these fields here, pay attention to the fields of the people that are coming to us. That the fields are ripe unto harvest and they're ready to hear the good news that I'm about to share with them. Because this woman had encountered Jesus and went back and shared her story. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is brought to eternal life. With joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I did. How many of you want to sign up for that? Y'all want to sign up for that? Tomorrow you go to work. Jesus told me everything I did. Here it is. And lay it out. That is the power of the gospel. Is that you can look at your past in a different way and say, this is where I used to be, but because I have met Jesus, he's transformed it. And now I can lay bare, but only before him, but before other people. I can be known because I am already known by him and fully loved and received by him. So you can know my past and I don't care. That's the theological term for it. Many Samaritans believed because of this woman's story. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two more days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we've heard him ourselves. Now we know that he indeed is the Savior of the world. This is the only time that this terminology, Savior of the World, is used exclusively like this. 
And it was a terminology that John used in this moment to show the transformational moment that this woman's story brought these people to Jesus and they heard the story of Jesus and they believed and they understood that he was the Messiah and the Savior of the world. Those outside the bounds of salvation. The woman, the Samaritan woman at the well at noontime that all the religious people said she's not worth having a conversation with, much less sitting down and talking and having a deep conversation with. Don't even look her in the eyes. And Jesus, the Messiah, sits down and says, can I have a drink from you, and begins a conversation. And from that conversation, she goes and tells the rest of her neighborhood and her neighbors that I have met the Messiah. And because of that, she comes back, and all these other people sit down and say, listen, if that is the Messiah of the world, is that of the Savior of the world that would sit down with someone like this, with this kind of story, then I want to meet that Messiah because I need that much grace and mercy. So many times, the longer we do church and the longer we do religion, we're really good at throwing on cologne and, and fig leaves and covering up stuff. And there's parts of our heart and our life that Jesus wants to bring healing to, that he cannot bring healing to because we're hiding, because we're not willing to be truly vulnerable before him. We just, Somewhere along the way, we believe the lie within religion and church that we cannot be who we are and that God wants to do the healing that he has, wants to do, but the only way that he can do that is if we're totally vulnerable before him. Even that moment of where she went and told other people, this is who I am. We need people in our life that we can run to that are Jesus followers, that are on our team and are on our side and understand what it means to be vulnerable and naked before God, to come to them as well and say, I need someone to help me in this moment. I'm trying to cover up stuff, but I know that I need healing in, and I'm tired of dealing with it. I want healing in this area of my life. And that the only way that can happen is if you sit at the well with Jesus and he lays bare your stuff. And that you allow him to have those deep, dark, difficult conversations that you need to have with him. That only you and he can have together because his desire is to give you water that is living and active and is life-changing and transformative. And the only way that he can do that is if you sit at the well long enough to have those conversations. And it's going to be uncomfortable. And you're going to have to tell some other people that are on your team, man, I had this conversation with Jesus, but this is what's happened in my life because of it. And we need that encouragement, number one, but also your neighbors that haven't encountered Jesus, they need to see the transformative power of the gospel. And quit thinking that your past defines you. Your past does not define you. If you are a follower of Christ, your future defines you, and your future is found in Christ. Quit buying the lies that you've been told and you've been sold and you've been bought into and that you clothe up in, thinking that if I just do this enough that I won't have to truly dig into what Jesus has for me. Because it's scary to show up at the well at noontime and know that it's just you and Jesus. But you've got to do it. She had a past. She believed. She shared. And lives were changed. That's the gospel. All of us have a past. Some of you think your past is darker than others. 
Maybe. Maybe not. Some of us clean up really good. Here's the deal. I want you to get it this morning. The gospel is simple. Jesus looks you in the eyes and says, you are worth having a conversation with. You are worth saying yes to. He wants to give you water that you can drink deep from all day, every day. All you have to do is say yes. Would you drink from that water this morning? Let's pray together. Dear Holy Father, if there's anyone in this room today that has not said yes to Jesus, may today be that day. If you're in this room and you've not said yes to Jesus this morning, just in your heart, just proclaim it in your heart as loud as you can. I say yes to Jesus. I need and want to drink from the well. And I believe that Jesus loves me, that Jesus died on the cross for me, and has forgiven my past, and has a wonderful future ahead of me. May I walk in my future, not live out of my past. May I walk with Jesus, not out of my past. Father, I thank you for those that have prayed that prayer this morning, that they are, yes, they're followers to Jesus. Father, may you, those of us that have been around church for a while, may we be reminded of our need for grace and mercy and our tendency to try to clean up and hide the stuff that drew us to the well the first time. Father, may we continue to go back and to let you have those dark, difficult conversations with us, to lay us bare, although uncomfortable, brings healing. Maybe we be a group that is healed up, that's limping, but healed up through our encounters with you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.